Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport, it's series 10, episode number 35, uh, good to have you company tonight, I can chart the progress of the motorsport year standing here at the window of the studio because as we go through the year of course as I look out onto the meadow in front of Hindhoff Towers I get to see less and less of it as the motorsport year continues it's really quite dark out there tonight i was thinking about doing the show outside tonight but that would have required a, a fire being put maybe next week we'll do the last last one outside of the uh, uh next week or, just a torch. Uh, or a torch and because yes. the radio you don't actually need lights no no but i would really quite like to do at least one more um from sitting in the garden um, sitting in the back garden. Um, that was the that was the voice of our executive producer Tim Greer, who is up in London. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And on a packed program tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features uh, with all our usual guests, which many um, of whom are in their usual locations, but not all. But not all, uh, and we'll come on to that in a moment. Can I do some apologies for absence this evening? You certainly can. Um, Let's uh, let's start uh, with Justin Woolwine. He says, no apologies for absence, but also missed it in, si- in excitement of new iRacing update. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow night it's the Tora radio show at 8 o'clock, uh, and it will be the guys looking at the new 4-6 tomorrow night. That's a live show. Uh, and it's a big Thursday tomorrow in the same way it's a big Wednesday tonight. After tonight's show, the Glickenhaus Project is on the radio at 10 o'clock. It's something that we did a wee while ago. We did put it on when we were at the Nürburgring. It hasn't been broadcast an awful lot since then, and it's never been available as a podcast. So we're going to play that out tonight, and then in the next couple of days, possibly even tonight, it'll go up as a podcast. Tomorrow night, TRS, Torah Radio Show, with, following that, the long one, Doug Feehan, project manager of Corvette Racing, talking to our Jim Roller, it's 55 minutes that you don't want to miss. It's Can I just very, point very out good. That uh, the Toro Radio Show mm-hmm. uh, is all about uh, online gaming and uh, yes. nothing to do with Jewish uh, religious books. No, no, that's try. Uh, Dead Squirrel says no excuses tonight. Listening to Midweek Motorsport while posting out stickers to support uh, to marshals to support the Justin Wilson Children's Fund. Thank you, Dead Squirrel. That's very kind of you. Taking my car uh, to repair it because something's got loose underneath it, says Fernando de Silva. Surely you could be doing that at the same time. 
Apologies for absence. There's something about some kind of for... Oh, never mind. We're here. It's a slipstream. Uh, book sign says Chris Suku. Now rushing home for the show, but might miss the first 16 minutes. Missed the last couple of weeks. Can't miss uh, tonight, says Ben Clark. Um, as I'm not usually present, I'm apologising for turning up tonight, says Alex Brown. No apology required for that. And a number of people pointing out um, a potential pointless press release from Haas F1. We'll get to that later on. Uh, Paul Marquardt working tonight. Hello, Paul. He'll miss the first few minutes of the show. Tyler Brule uh, was the reason that uh, Chris Suku was a little bit late tonight. And who else was there? was one more. Oh, yes, Martin Webb saying, no apologies tonight. I'll be listening whilst calibrating tyre gauges. Deflate gate. Mm. There'll be more of that later on this evening. Uh, Tim Gray, where would you like to start this evening? Uh, well, do, we, do we get a news jingle? Have you got have you, your papers to show? Hang on, hang on. Okay. Well, early for that. Because uh, I see that there is a thread on the Midland Westport This Is Collective for tonight's show. Oh, good. Uh, what we don't have in there is any information as to what was on the menu at Hindhoff Towers tonight. Um, it is. It, it was tonight... Uh, a very pleasant pasta dish um, with uh, some home-cured ham in there and uh, quite a light uh, meal because we were out having a lunch meeting today so we'd uh, we'd had quite a late lunch. Excellent. I'll get uh, Eve to post that later. Here we had uh, roast shoulder of lamb with mm. uh, baby new potatoes and chansonnet carrots and some peas. Mm-hmm. And That's later great. on, mm-hmm. potentially... There will mm-hmm. be birthday cake. Whose birthday cake? Well, someone that... Uh, and uh, can I bring in uh, Nick Damon at this point? Good evening, Nick Damon. Hello, Tim. I can't hear John, by the way. That's fine. That's not necessary for this bit. Uh, Is it not? Okay. <laughs> how do I send John to you? I think it might be that one. Uh, Nick Damon was such a late addition to tonight's show, we have had no time to test him. Uh, As well, it were. I have literally... Oh, hello, John. Uh, do you want to do a weird pick? We'll come on to that in a moment, but at the moment we're talking about Birthday Cake Gate. Right. Uh, because there ah. is uh, this Friday the birthday uh, of someone we all know uh, very well. Is it Johnny Palmer? Who's that? It's Thomas Enger. So can I be ah. the first person to say happy birthday, Thomas Enger? Yeah. Friday. Oh. Okay, very good. This is sort of a Yaya Tour. He's always been very good to us. Uh, uh, by the way, I'm not hearing Nick. If he's you're not talking. hearing Nick, okay. No, no. Let's uh, do the reverse then and do that one. And then <laughs> Hello, Nick. Nick. Hello, John. Nope, still not hearing him. Hello, John. Hello, John. Anyway, carry on. Um, uh, he's very quiet, I might like to add. Uh, uh, and uh, we can go on to where's Nick. Uh, yes. Because there's probably a reason why you're very quiet, Nick. It is. I'm a very long way away. Uh, and uh, are you in the future? from the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> are you in the future, Nick? Uh, I am. I'm, uh, I'm not many hours in the future, but I'm a few hours in the future. By the time we get still to come, you'll be in tomorrow, though. Uh, I will, just. Okay, so if uh, you can guess where Nick is, uh, tweet at Radio Le Mans. 
hashtag where's Nick. And uh, should we move on to do some news? If yeah, it gets rid of the bed, bed then yes, please. <laughs> okay. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, what's your first story then, Tim? Shuffle those papers. What have you got for us? Well, we're going to start uh, with uh, Formula One news, which is why we have Nick Damon from his mystery location. Because it occurred to me that there are many similarities between Lewis Hamilton and Tom Brady. Yeah. They're multiple champions okay. at various level of their sports. Uh, they are among the most famous sports stars in the world. Uh, they've had a series of uh, celebrity partners. Mm. Uh, they have interesting hairstyles. Mm. And now we can say they've both been accused and cleared of having insufficient air pressure. Well, I'm not sure they've been cleared. Yeah. Either of them. Brady what, certainly wasn't cleared of it, and he was suspended he, he for was, it. He was cleared of having involvement in it. He was uh, suspended for having knowledge of it. Okay. But that, that's uh, overturned now, isn't it? And that's been overturned by a federal judge. Um, and Hamilton was um, possibly not involved in it, um, but certainly had it. Um, but I don't think that was much to do with him and more to do with the team. Or to do with the methodology of measuring. No, 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 no. no, no undefined and um, Nick, typical. Nick, what? let's go before before we start. Let's go through the facts of what happened here, shall we? Mm-hmm. Go on then. This is all about, for those of you who have, haven't been catching up, the left rear tyres of both of the Mercedes-Benz were under-pressured by a th- 0.3 of a bar uh, at the race at the weekend in Formula 1. Uh, this is there, there was a, an edict, was there not, from Pirelli, the tyre manufacturer, about minimum pressures, which was hastily written. Can, I, can, I, can I run the story through on the pressures? Yeah. What, what happened was basically Pirelli got so fed up with bad publicity, um, especially when uh, Sebastian Vettel went far too long in his tyres and they burst. He blamed Pirelli rather than the fact they were going for it. And they decided what they wanted, especially on the fast circuits, was to raise the pressure. And they initially said they were going to raise it by 5 PSI, which doesn't sound an awful lot, but in racing terms is a monumental amount. Because yeah. um, obviously it, it's like, it, it, a, it's a percentage rise of about... 25 to 30 percent and it would completely change the handling of the tires if you think about f1 tires they most of their suspension done by the sidewalls of the tires and the screen is the sidewalls. not forget the screen of the sidewalls is entirely down to the air pressure anyway they then reduced the recommendation by i think by two, by two psi during the during the uh, course of the race weekend and again and then it was actually it was still a recommendation with a concept that it could be illegal if you didn't do it but there was no defined measuring process so what happened was according to everybody is that the ladies had their tires correctly inflated uh, by the uh, parade technician in the garage. And don't forget, the tyres would then go onto a trolley because the cars drive round to the grid on a different set of tyres. Those tyres were then put on, and at that, at some point, from when the tyres were being put on, which I think is at the five-minute board, to when they started, um, Joe Bauer went round and took the rear left pressure of the top four cars, which was, of course, Lewis, Sebastian, uh, Kimi, Sebastian, and Nico. Um, in, in, the problem was is that he then found out that the, the, the report was that um, 
Lewis's was 0.3 of a PSI down and um, not, not 0.3 of a bar, which is obviously quite a lot more. And um, Rosberg was 1.1 PSI, which I think that is actually 0.3 of a bar. Um, but the point about no, it was... No, 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 the, no, the, no. The, the, point, point 0.3 of a bar, a pound per square inch is 0.06. So 0.3 of a bar is quite a lot. And I've been well, doing a bit of... I've only, I've only seen the PSI readings, which are 0.3 of a PSI and 1.1 PSI. Well, Those are the well, official it, amounts. Well, well, put it this way, that the 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 guys in Formula One who we've spoken to this week have said that they pressure their tyres to um, uh, in in terms of accuracy to point one of a bar, which is um, what point three or point four of a psi, which is it. But the thing about uh, it is anyway, no, it is, is what all right, John. What affects the pressure reading of a tyre? Uh, heat heat and how are f1 tires prepared in blankets and if you took a a tire out of the blanket for one minute how much would the psi go down about 0.1 of a bar and if it was 10 minutes how much would it go down still about 0.1 of a bar doesn't move that much further no no it's a lot more that's what no no don't forget the john that's why when they've been when they've been trundling behind the safety car, that's why they have problems. They lose ride height because they lose so much air pressure. We take the tyre temperature with the tyres lose. It's, it's really critical in these big... T- but it, it, don't forget everything you know about modern road low-profile tyres. It's completely different. Yes, they've got dry air in there. The fact is they still go down massively, which is why the cars have bottling out issues when they start again after a safety car period they lost temperature. The fact is that they didn't define a process... If the tyres were correctly inflated in the blankets, then by the time you take the blankets off for five minutes, they're going to lose a large amount of pressure. The question I want to know is why Mercedes at the blankets off so early, but, you know, hey-ho. But the fact is, it was a ridiculous situation because they, they, they were trying to enforce a rule where they hadn't defined the parameters. And you can't right. enforce a rule when you haven't defined the parameters. All of that is fine, right? All of that is fine. But the tyres that we're worried about were the ones that was on at the end of the race when they told... Lewis to push hard. They weren't the tyres that were on on the grid, so clearly they were very, very. They weren't worried about the tyres. No, no, no. They weren't worried about the tyres. Why did they ask him to the push race. at they, the end of the race? Well, they were worried. They were worried he was going to get a time penalty for the tyre being underinflated at the grid. They were thinking that the, the, the sanctions the FIA had with that could have been a 10-second time penalty. They often had a 25-second time penalty for infringements, and they also obviously sometimes we might go for exclusion or grid penalties or just do nothing. So they thought, well, we need to get as far up the road as possible. So if we get a time penalty, uh, it's 25 seconds, and Hamilton ended up 25.6 ahead. He'd still have won. That's what they were doing. The whole point of it oh, was... Not, not gap, trying to, to, to follow your logic, then, not trying to get him to lean on the left rear tyre to get the pressure no, up in the second no, set they, of they, tyres. They failed, it. They failed the up. pressure on the grid. The grid, the grid, the pressure problem being on the grid. That was all done. There's no, there's no point. You could never, ever take the pressure of a tyre once it's done a stint because you have no idea about the leakage from the rim. You don't know if it's got a slow puncture. You could never do it. There. You could only ever take the pressure when the, it's not being used, which it was on the grid. Now, the reason they wanted to get him to push was to make a gap in case they got a time penalty. They'd already had a piece of paper half an hour earlier from uh, the FIA saying, we're going to be investigating you for being 0.3 of PSI down on Lewis and 1.1 PSI on Nico. Hmm. Okay, I think they've been caught. No, I, don't, I, 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 you know, 
I genuinely think that this is a fabulous example of F1 shooting itself in the foot because they've introduced a rule they have no idea how to enforce. And then when they think they've caught someone, you can't catch someone when you haven't enforced, when you've nothing to enforce. And there's so many grey areas. I'll tell you right now, if they kicked them out, it would have, they'd have been reinstated at the Court of Appeal instantly because it's, the parameters were never defined. Now, what they need to go in now and do is, is define those actual parameters and now say that you need to do this, this, and this. Then when, we take the, when we take the temperature, when we take the pressure, we'll also do a, a surface temperature guide as well and all that sort of thing. But it's just bad. It's bad practice, basically, because Pirelli panicked. And it's, again, it's another cock-up by Pirelli. Why was nobody else caught? Well, he only, he only measured the first four people. So just Ferrari weren't caught, that was all. So they managed to get it right then and... Well, they, they say that Ferrari's tyres were in the blankets long. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't there. I didn't see it happening. But the statement is that Ferrari's tyres were, were actually warmer, were, were hotter when the measurements were taken because they've been, been out of the blankets less time. Um, point one of a bar, by the way, is 1.4 PSI. Yeah, so... it, it wasn't. It was point PSI. It wasn't measured in bar. It was measured in PSI. All, um, if you look at the PSI, the, PSI, um, the, the Pirelli minimum requirement was, was written in PSI. 19 psi. I think it was. I think. I think it was 19. Maybe 19.5. But it was moving around all weekend. Okay. Okay. Moving on uh, to a story about tyres. <laughs> oh, good. Instead of the air in the tyres. Yeah. By the way, we should yes. point out that um, in some forms of motorsport, you are allowed to have uh, inert gases in your tyres. Nitrogen is popular. There's a very popular triple gas mix. That is used, but those were outlawed in Formula One, Nick, weren't they? Yeah, weren't they? I'm not quite sure why. They, they, they were, no, they were worried about. I'm not. There was a ruling about some special gas that Ferrari had, which was designed to reduce the heat transference. Now, I, I've no idea what. I think that had a high level of helium. I think it had. No, it wasn't to make the car lighter. It's it totally inert. Um, so, reduce the sprung weight. Either Hindenburg on top of it, but uh, that's a bad example. That's hydrogen powered didn't end well, but. Um, no, it's um, yeah. Uh, there, is, there are a lot of rules, and as always, when there's a lot of rules, there's a lot of people trying to bend the rules, and there's also people who don't define the rules. And I think the whole thing on Sunday was ridiculous because it took away from the fact that Lewis drove the perfect race and had the perfect weekend, and he's 52 points ahead. He's going to be the world champion, much as I said back in our preview show in whenever it was February. Should we move on to the second story then? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, which is that Pirelli has announced its uh, nominated compounds for the uh, Grand Prix of Singapore, Japan and Russia. Yes, and they've gone softer in Russia and they can't go any softer in Singapore. Well, I don't know what they've done in Japan, they've stayed the same. Uh, Singapore has stayed the same, Japan has stayed the same. And Russia's, and Russia's gone one, Russia's one gone grade softer. softer. Well, Singapore, being a track, a, a street track, has already gone super soft and soft, I think, so um, they can't go any softer there. And uh, obviously Suzuka's a no, is, is a very uh, heavy loading on the tyres when you go through the S's and... and uh, with Spoon and 130R, so it's uh, that's not a massive surprise. I mean, I think the more interesting news is that Pirelli are now getting a bit um, feisty, aren't they? And they're saying that they'll only, even if they get awarded the um, the contract, they'll only do it if the teams agree to a sensible and extensive test program. So back to tyre testing as we used to have. Um, it's just been pointed out that if you put air in tyres, 78% of that is actually nitrogen, 21% is oxygen, and 1% is other gases. Most of uh, are gone, uh, so 79% is inert, but that oxygen does have an effect. 
which is why they put what's called dry air in. You, you put it through so that there's, there's as little moisture in it as possible so that it stays more inert. Um, there are streetcars, including the Nissan GTR, that run nitrogen in their tyres from the factory. You get much less corrosion on the rims for things like that. But that doesn't matter in Formula oh. 1 because they only have them on for 10 minutes at mm. a time, don't they? And obviously the rims yeah. aren't made of anything that would corrode. Have you heard the other tyre thing as well? Which is? Well, Paul Henbury turned around and said, look, you know, um, if, you, if you want to change the way the tyres are, we'll build you tyres that, you know, you, we'll, build, we'll make you tyres that you can push every lap if you want them. And apparently somebody said, we don't think you can do that. Can we have Michelin, please? <laughs> No, really? There's no, there is, there is no confidence in Pirelli in the, in the, in the paddock, even though they've supposedly done what they're supposed to do. People think if you want to have a decent tyre, you need to go Michelin. And if you're really honest about this, if you wander across to Lasaf and they're doing five stints on a set of tyres and pushing the whole time, you can kind of see why, can't you? I know Pirelli have half as heavy again. Yeah. I know Pirelli have been told to to design degrading tyres, but I can't believe. That the problems they're having is is necessary. It's 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 you know you've always said to me, John, and I've poo pooed it. I'm I'm in fact I'm going to, have to start agreeing with you that you want to qualify and tie by a Pirelli or anything else, get get anybody else. Uh, in last year's Russian Grand Prix, what yes. was uh, Nico Rosberg's tyre strategy? Uh, go off at the first corner and change tyres. Uh, yeah, what did he start on? I have no idea. We were starting on the, what, the softer compound. He started on, on the uh, softer compound, uh, and he changed onto the medium, uh, and then went to the end of the race without changing them again. Yes. And well done. There's a 52 lap race. Sorry, 53 lap race. So he did 52 laps on one set of mediums. Uh, on which lap did he set his fastest lap? 52. 51. 51 is correct. Yeah, so they got a bit softer, but they're always, they're always conservative on new tracks, aren't they? Mm. If I'm really honest, though, if if Nico Rosberg went to uh, Sochi now and started, he still wouldn't win the race. Just had some news in from one of my contacts within Formula One. Every ten degrees Fahrenheit, the tyre pressure will change one full psi. There we are. Thank you. That's interesting, isn't it? That shows that's, how yeah. That's a rule of like, thumb. General rule of so thumb. You take the, Take the blankets off a few seconds, uh, two minutes earlier. Which is 0.6. It's unmeasurable. Mm. This is the point again. There's nothing wrong with having minimum PSI, but then you have to define how you're going to measure it. Moving on. Moving on to engines. Yay! There'll be lots of engines talk. Uh, there'll be more engine talk later. Yes, we're going to talk about Formula 1 engines to start with. Uh, because. Mm-hmm. Do you mean power units then? No. If we were talking about Formula E, I'd say... Uh, power units. Uh, I'm talking specifically about the engines in Formula 1. I'm not interested in the uh, curves part of it or any other part of uh, so just the up, energy. So just the uppy-downy, <laughs> bang, pop, bang bit, squeeze, bang yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. My favourite part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, who wants a Mercedes engine? Everybody. Manor and Red Bull. Everybody. So, uh, Manor and Red Bull want a Mercedes engine. Which one's going to get a Mercedes yeah. engine? Manor's going to get one. Neither of them. No, Manor will. What's going to happen to Red Bull? And they'll become the Mercedes B team. Uh, They're going to get a Ferrari engine. They are. Which Manor can And what's going to happen to Toro Rosso? And what's going to happen to Toro Rosso? They're going to be sold. They're going to get a Ferrari engine. And who's going to run a Renault engine next year? 
Lotus. How about no one? Nobody. And why is that? Because Renault won't be there anymore. Ah, uh, not any, not, not, I had a, one of my little contacts. It'll be rebranded as something else. Sent me a theory mm-hmm. about what was going to happen. And his theory was that, and it, that Renault will probably not bother buying Lotus till they go bust and then they'll buy them cheap in a fire sale. Yep. Next well, year, Lotus will continue, will continue with the Mercedes engine. There will be no Renault engine F1, which means effectively in 2017, they can come in as a new entrant. Which means they can completely redesign the engine. With a completely engine. new engine. Brilliant idea. And they haven't got to redesign it. They can do as much testing as they like next year because they're not an entrant. Even though they own Plus they, they get more they tokens, will... don't they? They get more jetons. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because they can start from scratch. Because don't forget, normally you have to. Re- they're still now having to adapt something they've already got. They'll be able to start completely from scratch in 17 with the, with the now renamed Lotus team Excellent. as Renault. And of course, and, uh, by buying not my Lotus, theory, someone who knows quite a lot, <laughs> Nick, by buying Lotus and then running Mercedes engine, they get mm-hmm. to look at a Mercedes engine for a year. That's, That's right. That's a very good point. That's probably the best point. On it. Well done. I mean, in fairness, in fairness, that doesn't matter anyway now because if they, if they bought Lotus now as a going concern, they'd have seen that they'd have all the information on Mercedes anyway because Lotus has got all the information. But yeah, I mean, they get another year's running on it. But that that basically is to me if, and that's why taking up the slack, Mercedes will take an extra team with Manor and uh, Ferrari will take two extra teams with um, the, the Toro Rosso and the Red Bull. Actually, three extra doing house as well. Oh, they lose yeah. Manor. Sorry, so the two extra teams and uh, there'll be two engines next year and Renault will come back with a completely ground up redesigned engine which they can do. Com- Completely within the rules because they're no longer an entrant next year, if that's what happens. As Andrew Mather has just said, tweeting in Aspect Entertainment, Aspect Entertainment at Radio Le Mans tonight, of course. Another BMW Sauber Ferrari situation with Lotus just the other way around, with the car manufacturer coming in rather than going out. Fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good. So that, that's my feeling on engines, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's play, play jingle then. Cram court. <laughs> it's past his finger first, isn't it? <laughs> Not in this game. Oh. Damn. You have to the funnier thing. What I might do is uh, not send a jingle to Nick, otherwise we can't hear him coming back to us. Uh, so that's Crown Court, and why do we think we're uh, listening to the Crown Court music? Is it because Lotus is being sued by everyone? Uh, define everyone. Charles Pick, engine suppliers, gearbox supplier, um, Renault probably. Even though <laughs> is, is it about Lotus being sued, or is it somebody else who's ever out of money? Uh, it is Lotus uh, being sued, but uh, specifically, uh, we're talking about uh, them being sued by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Hurrah! Oh, that's, a bad one. that's a bad one. That is. Yeah. It's about time, though, isn't it? Because too many times HMRC don't go after sports teams or they allow themselves to be pushed to the bottom of the list. Um, now, there's, sometimes there's a, they, they have a reasonable reason for that if, if there are uh, people who, particularly smallish, small and medium enterprises, that could be disadvantaged by that. But with things like football... Um, you're allowed to 
try and park your your debt to the revenue um, to pay your football bills off first. So anything that has to go to the league or whoever else has to be paid before you do your revenue. That's just wrong. I can't do that. That's uh, a league rule, isn't it? How far mm. behind uh, is uh, Lotus in terms of uh, paying its uh, income tax and national insurance contributions? My guess is it's about 24 months behind. Two years, yeah. I agree with that. Incorrect. Oh, how far do you think it's higher or lower? Oh, uh, oh, I'll go higher then. I'll it's go lower. I'll go higher. Okay, how much higher would you go, Nick? 36 months then, three years. And John? So they weren't noticed I, before that, were they? <laughs> I, I think then in that case it's 13 months. Uh, you're both still way out. The correct answer is 31 days. Really? Hey? Yes. Excellent. What? Why are they going after when they're a month behind? Who knows? Maybe they got their fingers burnt with uh, other Formula One teams that uh, uh, right. were reportedly uh. in financial problems. Mm. Uh, the case uh, was uh, heard in front of the High Court on Monday and adjourned until September the 18th. Uh, mm. And a spokesman for Lotus said, uh, uh, we won't be going back in front of the judge. This will be resolved before that. The HMRC are still waiting for Rangers, uh, Glasgow Rangers money, says Rotation. Well, they don't exist anymore, so they may... Uh, well, they're exactly. still waiting about... That's your issue, you see. What happens is, if they go into liquidation, um, there's an issue. Our, our financial correspondent, um, Eve Hewitt, says it would probably be because they have uh, repeatedly transgressed and have been behind small amounts for a number of times and they have been put on what HMRC call a special warning. Yes. Mm. Uh, ah. It's a bit like putting all four wheels off the track too many times. Yes. The uh, first uh, time uh, they'll let you off. The second mm. time they'll let you off. The third time they'll uh, show you a black flag. Uh, mm. Fourth time you get a uh, drive-through penalty and fifth time you'll be black flagged. Yeah, exactly. Uh Charles Peak uh, has been uh, suing Lotus as well. Well, it's a it's, it's a common thing to do. He's, he he was he was good though. He sued him for a lot, didn't he? Yes. Eight hundred grand for not being allowed to, to do like two days testing in the car and not being allowed to stand in the back of the grip with the back of the garage with his headphones on and a t-shirt. Don't forget the t-shirt. Oh yeah, that was part yeah. of the Well, the good grand. news is that uh, they've given him a t-shirt. They've given him a t-shirt. Charles Peak is now happy. Uh, the matter is fully resolved and will not resurface. What I've heard is, Tim, actually, they've given him two bottles of champagne to practice opening on. <laughs> and, and a T-shirt. Close to and, and, a, and As well as the T-shirt, obviously. Mm. Well, uh, I think it's only fair. <laughs> we've uh, spoken a lot about uh, the Haas team uh, in yes. recent months. And they're... Uh, Haas F1, is it called? Yes. I think, shortening... me, I, I, by the way, I, I, can I suggest we already have a jingle for them? Which is? It's the Pet Shop Boys. What have I done to deserve and the this? Opening... No, the opening to Ha, 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 That sounded like La Cucaracha has played on a very, yeah. very asthmatic set of air horns. <laughs> and can I just say, the number of heads that have just turned in this airport when I did that is a massive. Are you in the lounge? No, of course I'm not in the lounge. I'm, I'm trying to build up to a lounge. I've just gone bronze. Oh, well done. I'm in the open area. I'm in the open just area. Bronze. Wow. In, in my, uh, waiting, waiting for midnight to strike. Uh, no one's actually guessed where you are yet, but uh, I think it will count as an extra clue, clue now, won't it? Well, I'm gonna give, let me give another clue. Uh, on the way here, about 10 kilometres before I got here, 
uh, I went past an F1 circuit. Oh, did you? Yep. I did six Formula One circuits last week. I know. This is an active Formula One circuit. Well, some of them were active. At least two of them were mm-hmm. active that I went to. No, you did good. I, I, I enjoyed seeing uh, Joe's uh, travel log. It was good. <laughs> well, one of the ones you went to, uh, uh, are you counting manual six, uh, the circuit where uh, the race was? Which race? Barcelona. <laughs> yes. I actually miscounted because I could have said there's two at the no- Nürburgring, of course, because the Nordschleife is a former F1 circuit and the Grand Prix yeah. circuit is a current F1 circuit. So mm-hmm. so it was two Nürburgs, uh, two Nürburgrings, Nordschleife and other, Dijon Prenoir, uh, Barcelona. Well, you went there. Clermont Ferrand, you went. I know that. Um, Montjuic Park and Clermont Ferrand. So, and if we'd only but known, there was another Formula One circuit on the west side of Barcelona. Oh, years ago. That we uh, could have gone to, which held two Grand Prix in late 30s, I think it was. And um, had we not had to have an unexpected stop. Um, for Joe on the way up, we were going to stop at Mangy Cores as well. Uh, I, I, uh, I was actually, there's no need. <laughs> I was actually shocked that you didn't stop there because uh, I did see it run or very close to your route. Mm. Um, so it's all Joe's fault, is it? Rob Jenner says, Is Nick in Abu Dhabi? I'm going to have a bit of a do. Ah. Snarky uh, Moose says, I... Was he Sochi? No, he, uh, it's been got. I am indeed in Abu Dhabi. Did you have a haircut? Will you be coming back with an <laughs> Abu Dhabi do? Uh, I had a party, though. Has any hair left? Yes. And it has recovered well in the last few years, in fairness. Well, you know, not watched it for three years. What we, right, we moving on. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to point out that while uh, Nick is uh, boasting about his bronzeness, uh, I'm uh, now gold elite with the IHG Rewards Club. Oh, well done. All right. That's uh, with the amount of uh, uh, rooms you book, I would have thought you'd have been well past that. Now I'm platinum ambassador. Some of them I don't get to uh, uh, stay in locations where there's. An Evie's, IHG o- Evie's on route to something called Spire. Yes. I got a I, I got a card. I stayed in the Crown Plaza today uh, this weekend yes. this week, and uh, I got a card. So I'm now a member apparently. Oh, good. Only another 30,000 points, and then you can be uh, Gold Elite too. I can't help feeling, given our IHG association, I should be able to be given some points from somewhere. I could, I could swap your IHG points for uh, uh, American Airlines Air Miles, John. Uh, you can do that, actually. Because I've got 50,000 I'm never going to use. No, but this but is you... obviously nothing to do with motorsport. <laughs> no, no, but hang on. But you can actually trade American Airlines Air Miles for IHG Reward Club report points. Well, then that will be what will be happening there you go you see just ask me i am king of uh, rewards club and frequent flyer well, let, me, let, let me point this out i don't believe you'd have flown me into abu dhabi and then i spent all the time in dubai thinking it was next door but never mind that's our travel department for you it's quite nearby it's 90 minutes in a, ca- in a cab yeah it's sorry only, it's you, only 40 you were working in dubai and you've yeah. flown to abu dhabi yeah why didn't you just fly to dubai as I said, talk to my travel department. 
Oh, really? I need to talk to you about booking your own travel, Mr. Dearman. Can't do that. Has to go through the department. Anyway, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, not, in fact, a, an episode God's of the Travel Show. It is 25 minutes to 9 o'clock in the UK. It's series 10, episode 35. And we'll move on to what, please? Uh, Haas. Uh, oh yes, that's where we were going. Which is where we were going before <laughs> Nick started going on about the pet shop boys. Yeah, sorry. Um, so I'm not going for four weeks. I've got numbers to come out. Over the last few months, we've been discussing the uh, long list and then short list of uh, mm-hmm. past potential Formula One drivers. Uh, which, uh, if you remember, they did say they were going to uh, cut down to one. Cut down to one. Mm. Um, well. <laughs> They've already culled some names off the shortlist by announcing this week that there won't be an American in their team. Oh, right, so who's that lose? Uh, that lose Alex Rossi, basically. Right. Okay. They also they, got. They also got very. They, sorry, John, they, they also got really upset when um, uh, Force India re-signed Nico Hulkenberg, saying that was our idea. We were going to have him. Yeah, so they should have done that a little bit earlier, really. They had an mm, opportunity. Yeah, but it's very, it's very, very easy to say it was we were going to do it and then not have to, isn't it? Yes. The, the, their shortlist wasn't particularly short. It went down from 12 or 13 to 10, didn't it? Yes, I think I, it, I, it is currently I at 9 it's, now. It's at 9. I'm, I'm going to make, right, make a prediction, OK? This is, this, is, this is purely based on my cynicism. Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is their two drivers uh, will be, uh, in no particular order, uh, Ferrari test driver Esteban Gutierrez and Ferrari test driver Jean-Eric Verne. Money and engines, then. As a guess. I think think Ferrari uh, protégé, Raphael Marcello, isn't experienced enough. Probably not for uh, Haas, but uh, he might uh, get a test uh, role with one of the other teams that Ferrari is supplying engines to. Can I just put my head up above the the Haas parapet and say um, (laughs) that the press release that has come out today is very much akin to why we started the whole USF1 thing. Have they got their license? they paid their entry fee? Uh, Have they bought a printer? Are we going to talk about it later, Tim, or can we bring it up now? Let's do it now. Do you want the appropriate jingle now? Yes. I think so. Tim, Nick, you're going to enjoy this. You really are. Uh, obviously that jingle although it is for pointless press release the week doesn't begin with a P uh, begins with number 5 the news that no one is talking about the stories that aren't reported anywhere else and for valid editorial reasons pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing but basically and Nick you're going to love this They've okay. they've put out a press release to say that has told everyone how proud they are that what yes. if you're going to put a press release about how proud you are about a major landmark in a Formula One project, what do you think it might be, Nick? Uh, you've got the first car on the track. Uh, you've passed through your crash tests. Um, you've signed an unbelievably big, important sponsor already impressed by. Uh, you've signed your drivers. All of those would be good. How about getting the signs up on your unit in Bambury? <laughs> <laughs> I well, kid really? you not. I kid you. Have you got it there, Tim, by any chance? No. 
Was that, it, was that released by Huss or by AB Signs of Banbury? We are very pleased to have been commissioned by Huss Automotive to produce some lovely signs. We don't mean a uh, half inch thick, and it's marvellous acrylic. Um, Jesus. It is o- unbelievable. Um, let me see there. Latest to Team News. Here we are. Um, uh, they've. Well, that was all back last year. On schedule for, for debut. Oh, they, they haven't got it on their website either. How annoying. Well I, have heard well, I have heard they've got it tomorrow's. Is they're very proud to announce they've had the windows cleaned. Um, and they're coming up later. They're very proud to announce that they've formed a strategic alliance with a coffee machine uh, to provide coffee for the entire team. Now, if you cast your mind back, dear listener, the reason that we started to raise eyebrows at um, US Formula One, USF One, was when they put out a press release to say they had their switchboard installed. I think this is oh, barely yeah. one step away from that, Nick, don't you? I think it's one step below. At least you, you know, a switchboard means you can take calls from potential drivers and sponsors. Sign just means those sponsors and drivers can find your offices. But we have sat nav <laughs> now, I think, anyway. Always assuming you were looking for it in the first place. Um, now, if it, if it turns things, up, there, there we go. Now, there we go. I've got it now. Thank you, uh, Alan Prosser. Um, there was a tweet. I, I, I tell a lie. It was a tweet rather than a press release, but I think it came off. Big things are happening at Haas F1 teams, European HQ in Banbury, including new exterior signage. There you go. Let me just say, if you work for Haas F1, mm-hmm. have a look in the autoclave. If you see baguettes, resign. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> or pizzas. If yeah, any, any bread based product, any, gluten, any second, non-gluten I'm... free. Nick, I've just had a note from somebody that works there. What autoclave? <laughs> <laughs> Good point, actually. <laughs> if you don't work for Haas F1, you can go and work for Haas F1. Yes, uh, they are looking for people. They are. That was, another, that, was a, that was another big announcement. They are looking for a number of, uh, of technical boards, aren't they, Tim? Yeah. Well, not so much it... technical, more imagination. Really? Ah. Imagine what way? Imagine they're imaginary people or what? I think so. Yes. I'd like a I'd like an aerodynamicist who has the wings of a unicorn. Yes. Does the unicorn have that might work. I suppose it does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving on. Uh, that's all the Formula One news. Can we move on to some rallying? Mm. We've kept this oh, back right. especially for for Nick, haven't we? Hmm. Great. Uh, I need to make my, my, my. I need to make my my. As I constantly get um um copied into anything based on rallying uh, to the collective. Let me just say again, I don't think that rally drivers aren't talented. I think they're very talented. I don't think they aren't crazy. They're very crazy. I don't think driving a car down a track on it is very exciting. Once, but it's just a boring sport. They can do most of them twice. Yes, fair enough. It's boring. It's boring both clockwise and anti-clockwise. No, in the same direction usually. Uh, this actually uh, also qualifies for this jingle as well. The news that no one is talking about. But I'm not going to play all of it. Hollywood okay, legend you... stars in Wales. Okay. Oh, hang on. Is it uh, Richard Burton? No, he's dead, isn't he, Richard Burton? Anthony Hopkins. He's Welsh, isn't he? Sir Anthony Hopkins, if you don't mind. Sorry. Uh, John, do you have any... Sol- Suggestions as to who it might be? Hollywood legend. Yes. Hang on, I, I, well, I know another Hollywood star. 
who's Welsh. That's Catherine Zeta-Jones. No, 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 but it's something to do with rallying. So it's somebody who's either going to be at the rally who's going to take part in it, I presume, Tim. Any, any further uh, clip? I'm not sure whether he will take part, but he is the official rally legend at this year's uh, concluding round of the FIA World he's, Rally Championship. I, but he's, he's a well, he's been in for- the the mm. the uh, the concept of having an annual rally legend uh, was introduced last mm. year to celebrate the outstanding achievements of uh, past heroes, and last year it was, was Harry Massenden. Right, but this Sorry, is a so Hollywood. Le- well, so last year it was Harry Massenden, yeah. and this year it is a Hollywood legend. Yes. Is Something he Welsh or she Welsh? He's not Welsh, no. Does he have any obvious connection to rallying, or has he got a film to promote on the week of the rallies out? He has an obvious connection to rallying. Ah. Would you describe him as a legend, or is it artistic license from the press release? I can see why they would call him a legend, yes. Is he, is he, is he English, or Welsh, or American, or...? No, none of the above. Uh, we've got a quote uh-huh. from him. Come on, let's say the quote. Uh, It's a real honour to be invited to be the rally legend for Wales Rally GB. As many already know, this is an event which is very close to my heart for so many reasons. It's, I know who it is, it's Petter Solberg. It is Petter Solberg. Because his nickname is Hollywood. Yes. That's ridiculous. That's like calling Jodie Schechter Hollywood because he was sponsored by the chewing gum. Oh, that's good. We'll have him next year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he could bring his, his organic meat and his, his shooting ranges, couldn't he? I'm sorry, but that that um, that is a misleading. That is a misleading. I would take that press release. Is Hollywood in quotes? Is Hollywood no, in, in quotes? Not mm. at all. It is used as an adjective. Mm. Well, it has a capital well, A, so it, it could be his nickname. Hollywood it's legend. The first word in the sentence. That's why it's got a capital H. He is known as Hollywood. Talk about that. H from he Steps. Is. He's Welsh as well. It doesn't have to be Welsh to be a Welsh rally legend. Well, I'm just, I'm just helping them out for next year. It's all both Norwegian, after all. Nicky Grist, I would think, would probably be up there. He's a legend. I'd have thought Windaf Evans Evan. would Grindaf. be well ahead of uh, Nicky Grist. Um, and all the other people in the Fiesta kick rally championship from four, from six series ago. What's he got to do to be rally... What's he got? What's his duties as, as rally legend, then? Uh... Waving a flag? You hadn't read that far, had you? <laughs> being, being, being legendary, doing legendary things, um, hanging around in hospitality. Well, he does. I think he hangs around in hospitality a lot, mm. um, and uh, does some publicity. Okay, moving on. Crack. Moving on. Uh, moving on. Uh, we get onto the serious side of rallying. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone who won't be taking part in uh, the Rally Australia this year is mm-hmm. Mads Osberg. Oh, I know this. He, he, he hit a truck, didn't he? He hit a truck on the recce. No. Yes, so he wrecked it on the recce. Wasn't it like the road wasn't shut, or was the road not actually shut on the recce? Uh, normally not. Well, depends where. Uh, the truck was travelling in the opposite direction, on the wrong side of the road. Didn't Mark Webber get knocked off his push bike when he was doing something? Uh, yeah, was he doing his, his cycling own... in Tasmania. Yes. By a Toyota truck. Which is ironic, yeah. isn't it? 
Yes, well, it is now, yes. Yeah, but that that was a pickup truck. This was a big truck, as in a lorry. Um, the other rally news that we have, I'm afraid, is uh, is pretty dire because at the weekend, many of you will have picked up the news that a Peugeot rally car in the Rally de Coruña uh, went off the uh, the roads and seven people now have uh, lost their lives. It should be noticed that there's been no um, blame attached to the, the drivers. It's, I'm afraid one of those difficult situations where the popularity of the event led to people standing in very close proximity uh, to the side of the road and in places that they really shouldn't have been standing up in the northwest of Spain at a place called Corral. And the, uh, there are still five people in serious condition in hospital. We wish them well and obviously pass on our uh, condolences to those who have lost friends or relatives um, it's just another very graphic illustration of the fact that motorsport is dangerous. And I think there was a number of places, including at the closing ceremony of the 24 hours uh, of the of the uh, Catalonia circuit at the weekend, where um, we had a, a minute silence for that when Joe was doing the uh, doing the podium ceremonies. It'd be remiss of us not to to mention that uh, tonight. Uh, moving on, coming up to 10 minutes to 9, Nick Damon is with Tim Gray and me, John Hindorf. It's Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. Stay tuned tonight for our big Wednesday presentation. It's the Glickenhaus Project uh, coming up at 10 o'clock, uh, something that we recorded a little while ago, but it's been sitting dormant. We've dusted it off and brought it back out, and it will be getting podcast soon as well. Tomorrow night, the Torah Radio Show, uh, all things... Uh, racing and virtual, including their first look at Forza 6. Uh, and we should say well done to Matt Hunter, who is uh, going to the US to represent the UK in uh, a Forza competition uh, next week. Uh, and uh, Matt and the rest of the team will be with you at 8 o'clock tomorrow, followed by Doug Feehan's long one with Jim Roller, uh, which is uh, something we previewed, or at least uh, played for the first time, should I say, debuted a couple of weeks ago, uh, and will be on again tomorrow night. Lots of people asking to hear that again. That's tomorrow evening from 8 on RadioLamont.com. Tim, where have you got us going next? DTM. Mm-hmm. Uh... Because uh, the organisers uh, of the DTM uh, want to... Inc- I've decided it's pointless. They're not going to do it, not do it anymore. Increase the calendar from nine events to ten events next year. Mm. Back to brands. Who is no. not so keen? All of the teams. Audi. Audi, Mercedes. says Nick. Anyone else? Um, Mercedes-Benz and BMW. Is correct, yeah. <laughs> I can't help feeling that given the choice, because they, if, they, if they really could, they'd all stop it. But because they can't stop it on their own, because the, other, the others will stay in, they're in a kind of a real kind of vicious circle of not being able to pull out of DTM, because everyone realises it's pointless and too expensive. But they've got this kind of enormous, great macho German male thing going on here, and they can't get out of it. That's my theory. I think it's, they'd all like actually... a six-weekend calendar, wouldn't they? That's, that's a, Nick brings up a very good point. Many years ago... When other German manufacturers were involved, Opel, there was a real desire to for a number of the manufacturers who were involved at that time to get out of it, and they couldn't get out of it and just leave one manufacturer. So when 
uh, Audi jumped into it and then BMW came into it. Mercedes breathed a huge sigh of relief, clearly. Uh, at least now one of them can leave and it doesn't kill it. The issue has been in the past when there's only been two manufacturers there is neither of those can leave. Whether you want to or not, you can't leave. So at least at the moment one or other of them could leave if they really wanted to, one of, uh, of the three. But it, it, it has been a real issue in the past. They spend, because let's not forget that all of the cars are funded by the manufacturers. So all of the cars and all of the running costs are funded by the manufacturers. There are some sponsors on some of the cars, but from what I'm told, that is a minor contribution. And the kind of money that is being spent by each manufacturer would put a car on the back of the Formula One grid every year or a team on the back of the Formula 1 grid every year. And let's not forget, this is a, this is why everyone who's involved in that, BMW in particular leading this charge, is desperate to get that form of racing adopted in other parts of the world and make it a global entity so that they can amortise their budget across other parts of BMW. Since Opel pulled out of the DTM... Mm-hmm. Uh, what's happened to their sales figures? They've gone down. Everybody. They've gone up. They've gone down. Hi, yeah, but much? that's because they're part of Vauxhall. If Vauxhall's gone down, they weren't in anything. The cars are terrible. That's not true. G- GM, GM in Europe, as Opel, have lost sales or lost market share or lost both. Both. Mm. Well, the, the reason is, is they, they're Germany exactly the same as before. Uh, that's also both. Yeah, but the thing about it is, it's because the brand, the brand is in the wrong place in the market. We could get into the whole marketing concept about about cars, but if you look at the brands that have been, that have done well, they're, they're either side of the traditional volume sellers. The traditional volume sellers, obviously, which were uh, Ford and Renault and Peugeot and Opel, they've all got squeezed by the executives at one end and by the Koreans and the um, the cheaper cars on the other end, and, they, and they've all lost massive shares. It's nothing to do with anything to do with motorsport. Is a correct answer. Uh, because I was going to say uh, that although uh, their sales are down, they're not down any more than the uh, three manufacturers who are still in DTM. Well, well, Audi's is up, of course. Cause Audi's Worldwide the it is. Yeah, and in the UK, is it not up across Europe? Yeah, this is Germany, I suppose. This is Germany, in I suppose. Germany, I don't, I don't it's pretty static. Either. Right. Uh, but static is the new growth, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, very few car manufacturers um, in anything other than the very high levels have seen any kind of uh, of improvement in terms of how many cars they sell and, and and even then it is probably because the segment expands one of the things that Audi have done very cleverly is it's not that long ago 10, 15 years ago when they had 11 cars in their range in terms of model variants they've got 46 now um, and the same for people like uh, Jaguar, Bentley, Aston Martin, etc. The, the the way to expand is to build more and differing versions and push yourself into areas of the marketplace you haven't been represented in before. Hence the Bentley Bentayga um, and the Jaguar Good SUV, thing. which was out for the first time. Slightly better. Um, this week, I noticed. Going back and to the uh, story, DTM. though... Mm. Uh, the series has been talking to several circuits. Mm-hmm. Um, can you suggest uh, any that they might be looking at? 
What, to go to Brand that hat. they're not going to now? To go to that the teams would uh, not vote for. Donington? No. Um, I don't think anywhere in the UK. No. Honestly, they wouldn't be bothered with right. anybody um, in the UK. Michael? Uh, no. Barclay. Geographically Barclay, closer than Donington. Zamport? Uh, uh, they not in Germany, no. Zolder? Zolder? No. Just tell us, Tim. Porto? On the street circuit? Yes. Mm-hmm. And Hurama? Right. Hurama. Where? Hurama? Hurama. All right. Hurama's Does that have a good enough standard? Given that DTM used to race in a stadium, I'd have thought that an actual race circuit would come up to standard. Yeah. I think Hurama's class two. Um, hang on, let it me... It is a grade two circuit, yes. I, I why do they want down... to raise, why why would they want to raise a Harama? Because they're not going to get any a crowd in there. The Spanish don't come to motor racing anyway, and they're not going to come to Harama to a German series. So what's the point? Who knows? Fair enough. <laughs> Answer that question. Uh, <laughs> an update on a story we brought you last week, uh, where we mentioned that uh, Will Bratt was. Uh, making his return to top-level single-seaters for yes. four years after his last Will outing. he have made the feat of marshals? Yes. Uh, he says, I'm pretty happy with how the weekend went overall. Uh, it was a great experience racing uh, Formula Renault 3.5 for the first time. We made some serious progress across the three days, and no one's feet were run over. He didn't say that. <laughs> no, he didn't. You've just added that, but it was quite funny. I wish you had. He should have said that. Actually, that would have been, that would have given me. I would then have had his want to read his press release almost as I want to read as much as I want to read Patrick Heisman's. Uh, he, his best results over the two races was twelfth. Well, okay. been away for a while, so he has been away from single seaters for four years. Uh, on the subject of single seaters, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, we have a calendar change for Formula E. Really? Yes. Um, by the way, Formula E drivers will not be very happy, as it's been pointed out by Alan Prosser. Any drivers involved in, in WEC, DTM and Formula E might not be happy with extra dates either for DTM. That's a fair point. Uh, what's changed? Uh, the date of the uh, Chinese round of the series uh-huh. has been mm-hmm. put back by a week. All right, what, just what, what, was then. <laughs> what was it clashing with and what is it not clashing with? Uh, the reason for that is that obviously the circuit in Beijing goes around the outside of the uh, uh, Olympic Stadium, the Bird's Bird's Nest, Nest. Uh, and uh, they hadn't taken into account that there was actually a sporting event going on inside the stadium (laughs) on their original date. Hey, they would have got a bigger crowd though, wouldn't they? They'd have been... Uh, It was sold out, everyone said. It was all sold out. Every formulary event sold out. Right. Uh, And finally... Uh, for this part of the news, uh, we have a Team Brazil in the race of champions this year. Do we really? Yes. Fantastic. Who will that be? Uh, it will be the world's two, most unpopular driver. Two uh, Brazilian drivers, one of whom is a, cham- a reigning champion. And, and the most unpopular driver in the world. All right, who we're not mentioning, I see. Yeah. That's Nelson Piquet Jr. <laughs> yeah. And the other one is a Formula One driver who was nearly a champion. Uh, and uh, is still, um, despite um, comprehensively beating Valtteri Bottas at the weekend again, not rated by um, Sam. Well, that would be Mr. Collins. Massa. 
Ah, right. Philippe with Massa. Uh, um, Massa's been in the race of champions before, of course. Has he? When? I'm not. Well, John's, John's the expert race of champions. He commentates on him. 2004 and 2005. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and he's time, not been able to do it since because uh, uh, it's clashed with a charity karting event in Brazil that uh, he's involved with. Ah. I think my first year of Race of Champions was when it was last in the UK. Yeah, so that's mm. about six years ago. I know, more than that. At uh, New Wembley? It w- no, because I've done two Dusseldorfs, a Beijing, a... Barbados. A Barbados. Cancel, a cancelled Bangkok. Two, a two at Bangkok, one cancelled, yeah. So how many's that so far? Plus a second a lot of them at, at Wembley. So it was two years at Wembley, wasn't it? So, um, so you must have together. just missed uh, Felipe Massa then. I must have just missed Felipe. It didn't happen then, did it? It's among like the uh, among the other drivers uh, this year, who do mm-hmm. we have? Tom Christensen. David Coulthard. He's bound to be doing it. Tom Christensen and David Coulthard both correct answers. Um, um, Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel. He's Fettel, doing it. Yes. He's coming back. Yes, that's right. Having missed a year last year. Um, two other Formula One drivers. Nico Hulkenberg. He's Hulkenberg, a game, game yes. guy. And, and I Australia. don't know the other one. Danny Ricciardo. Uh, Daniel is, Ricciardo. Uh, Ricciardo. Uh, we have uh, someone who we've mentioned on the show tonight already. Peter Solberg. Uh, Peter Solberg, the Hollywood legend. Yes. Uh, a MotoGP champion. And another MotoGP champion. Jorge Lorenzo. Jorge Lorenzo. And Mick Doohan. And Mick Doohan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm sure more drivers will be announced uh, in due course. 2004, I'm mm. being told, I last, I first did... Uh, so Felipe Massa was there. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure about that. that sounds... He is. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, and that brings us to nine o'clock. Midweek Motorsport. Half-time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Uh, in the second half of tonight's programme, uh, it'll be mostly talking about sports cars, as we will say a fond farewell in a moment or two to Nick Damon, and we'll be talking to Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com and to the editor of DailySportsCard.com, Graham Goodwin. Lots to get through in a packed second hour, but we'll still be watching the Twitter at Specutainment and at Radio Le Mans. And remember tonight to stay tuned because we have the story of the Glickenhaus project coming up at 10 o'clock tonight, straight after this week's Midweek Motorsport, the second half of which gets underway in just a moment's time here on RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com. So are we going to lose Nick or have we got one more thing for him? I think we can hold on to Nick if you want to because uh, we right. have the capacity uh, to not only have no, Nick... I, I, I need to go because i got to go and get on, a fl- get on a plane in a few minutes. So I will. Uh, I, what I will say is it'd be lovely finally speaking to you again after four weeks. <laughs> yes. And uh, you've missed and hopefully, two, two lots of MotoGP news. But, uh, yeah, we'll mind. catch up on that. We'll get some of that uh, when they have their next race. Fly well, Nick. <laughs> See you later. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cheers mate. Good. Bye, all. 
So Nick Damon joining us from uh, Abu Dhabi tonight. And uh, from a little closer to home are the Supreme Headquarters of uh, Endurance uh, Division Directive, rather, is Graham Goodwin. Good evening to Graham Goodwin. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, boys. Uh, been a massively busy week. Can you just turn him to, to me, please, uh, Tim? Just not, uh, yes, uh, and also uh, I'll put him in everyone's left ear as well. Okay, that's fine. Appeared to have uh, travelled all the way over to the right. Has he? That's unusual for him with his politics, frankly. Uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks. I want to start off, if I might, Graham, with uh, just closing the circle on a couple of things we talked about in a show last week where we were uh, away, of course, getting ready for the 24 hours of Barcelona. I waited more in hope than next <laughs> Uh, and that is uh, finally confirmation coming uh, at the end of the show by fax in a very FIA way, and why not in an FIA National Endurance Series, of the deal to be done for the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of April next year at Silverstone, the touring car 24-hour race uh, at Silverstone. Deal done and dusted. I've got to say, much rejoicing in the paddock in uh, Catalonia. Easy, Tim. Um this seems to already have caught people's imagination. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's come, uh, come as, I think, a pleasant surprise that things have kind of slotted in as seamlessly as they did. The announcement came just a couple of days later that the Brick Car Championship will indeed uh, move over to under the control of Claire Headley uh, from James Tucker. And yes, paperwork was finally exchanged and, and everybody's happy. Uh, it was literally all happening uh, while I was on air with phone calls mm. and text messages and God knows what. But uh, no, I think if that secures a 24-hour race for the UK, we can work from there, can't we? And yes, it would be nice to think in the years to come that uh, perhaps we can uh, go and send some boys around the back of a transit van and uh, have a chat with some of the local residents and get the GT cars back. But for me, I'm perfectly happy we've got a 24-hour race back at Silverstone and, and, and assured with with a team behind it, you know, are perfectly capable of producing a very successful event. And by the time I spoke to Krivonsek later that evening, they'd already got eight confirmed entries uh, and, before and the w- race had been confirmed. Yes, absolutely. The uh, And by that, that is entry forms in and deposits paid, uh, which is, is quite remarkable. Just a bit of background on that. Um, we knew that uh, the limit for noise was one, um, one or two decibels at Silverstone, and that was clearly a contributory factor. But Gary Villam saying to us in the live race broadcast that that wasn't the overarching thought behind it. They really did think, having spoken to their teams and particularly taking the temperature of what was going on in the UK and the near continent at the moment, Graham, that a touring car race with the touring cars as the very top class was absolutely what was being asked for so that those guys could go out there and not have to look over their shoulders quite so much to some of the faster GT3 machineries that were out there. Well, it, it goes along, doesn't it? The, there's the tale that I know you've told a number of times, John, about uh, Gary's uh, driver's briefing uh, chats to the drivers that talks about the importance of this being a race for the people up and down the grid and him telling the story of his own beloved, say, at Leon, I think it was, yep. TDI. 
and it's exactly that. Why not? I mean, you look, we've had some fantastic 24-hour touring car races in the in the past. My guess is that those of us, you know, slightly crying into our coffee uh, over the the loss of the GT cars might go along and actually have a pretty good time. I think it could actually be something with just a different atmosphere uh, that could provide real entertainment. And, uh, I, well, uh, we'll have a look at what the fixtures dole out, but I'd like to be there for that one. Well, at the moment, it is a free weekend. So that is very good news indeed. And uh, believe it or not, I've already had an offer of a drive in it as well. Uh, thanks very much uh, to, a, uh, to a couple of teams. But one very, very sensible conversation that needs to be followed up on, because it is something I would like to say that I'd done a 24-hour race in the uh, in the UK and almost on the doorstep it would be uh, it would be wrong uh, not to to give that a go uh, the uh, at the moment the pages of DSC seems there's a new story dropping in every uh, few minutes where to start uh, let me let me put some let me put some Could listener questions um, that that is a very good place to start because uh, whilst uh, Johnny and Bruce were out at the ELMS at uh, Ricard last week, the ELMS calendar came out, Graham, and mm. there was one big surprise in that there was an extra race on that. I don't think that was trailed. I don't think anybody nope, expected it. it. And it had been kept very well uh, guarded by the LMEM, the, the guys, Gerard Navo and the rest of his team. Yeah, it's absolutely true. There is an additional race, and in absolutely in concert with the fact that they want to keep things safe, stable and uh, above all get the budgets tied down the ELMS cars will be joining the grid of the Bathurst 12 hours no they won't no they're going to spa in September um, and at the moment it's down as a provisional date of the 23rd to the 25th of September that might move and that's dependent in no small part on the final um, calendar dates for their new support package for the LMS because the LMS is joining forces with Renault Sport mm. um, and we will have at the moment the uh, Renault Euro Series 2.2 uh, litre Euro Series single seaters for several of the rounds and the new uh, Renault RSO1 uh, well I suppose you call it one make GT races uh, will be there for most of the rounds as well there is something more to come by the way uh, it is something to do with the way the support package is, uh, is put together, that will be relayed publicly at Estoril at the final round of the season. I can also tell you, by the way, that when we get to hear about the calendar for um, the WEC, there is likely to be some news about uh, a series that will be forming a part of the uh, support package for the WEC on a number of occasions next year, about which I'm... I'm pretty pleased, actually. Uh, I know what it is. I'm not going to say because I've been asked not to. But uh, it's been... We've had a few meetings, John, with the WEC where perhaps the support um, package has not been up to up to scratch. Uh, and it's fair to say that I think we've got something that's potentially of real quality and will add to the weekend. So they're thinking along the right lines. Um, stability is absolutely the key. So it will again be Silverstone and the WEC, Imola. Yeah, uh, Red Bull ring. Paul it's Red only Gold. Silverstone that is the double header with the WAC. Correct. Everything else is standalone as effectively the lead series with the Renault supports. Uh, correct. And the the big plus uh, for the race we saw last weekend because we didn't have a support race uh, last weekend at all. But both the Renault series will be at Ricard and at Red Bull Ring and at Spa and at Estoril. It'll be the single seaters only though at Imola. 
Tim has a question before I want to ask you one final thing about this before we move Ho on. Hopefully Tim. I can hear him because I couldn't hear him earlier. All right, Tim, fire away to uh, to GG. Uh, can you hear me, Graham? I most certainly can. Good. Good evening, uh, my question was, the appearance of Spa on the ELMS calendar, uh, with it not being uh, a double header with WEC, mm. does that mean that WEC may not be going to Spa at all? The question did come up and yeah. was not answered, but I don't believe that's the case. It's certainly true to say, and John said this before now, and I'd agree with him that uh, it's certainly Spa is one of the circuits, much as we all love racing there, or the racing there. Um, few people, I have to say, particularly enjoy um, the, uh, the the reality of actually having to deal with Spa. And um, if there were a round at risk, it might be there. But the problem is, where else would you go? The answer would be Monza. Monza. And I'm pretty certain I'm right that Monza's out of noisy days. Correct. That's taken up entirely by... Formula One. The other thing that I was going to ask was about the test day. Uh, yes, the, no, that is interesting. The test day is TPA. It's the only TPA on the calendar. Now, I thought that I had seen on the FIAWEC calendar that the test days were back at Paul Ricard. Now, I may have misremembered that. In the past, we have done um, FIA followed by um, ELMS or some combination thereof and they have been green as we've reported when we've done our shows from there universally praised and yet there is clearly a question mark about whether certainly at least the elms will be going back for their test days at ricard in march or whenever it is well i am told the one thing we can be assured is that wherever we go uh, the tests will be back, more or less back-to-back -back as they have been but uh, whilst poor record is certainly still very much in the mix they are looking at, I believe, at least two other circuits uh, that are being considered for the test. So they're not ready to make an announcement yet, um, but uh, there will still be that link between the ELMS and the WEC, which does tend to indicate, therefore, that the test will be in Europe. Yeah, I think it has to be um, in, in cost. It certainly has to be for the terms. European Le Mans series. Well, yeah. we've, been, we've been out of Europe before with the European Le Mans series. That is true. To where? More than once, in fact, uh, we went to Istanbul. We went to Petit Le Mans. Special circumstances in, yeah, in yeah, Petit but Le Mans, still, but yes, but no, I no, think agreed. The answer, I think agreed. the answer is, I would be surprised if uh, we didn't see it back at Paul Ricard. In some ways, though, it's good to actually get the, the tree shaken a little bit, isn't it? And mm -hmm. uh, take a look what might be out there and whether or not there's a, there's a better offer. But um, there you go, Paul Ricard. It is. We seem to be going there an awful lot. Uh, racing, and I think we've still got a 24-hour race to come, haven't we? Uh, oh, do oh, we, we had that we've, one. Oh, we had that no, one. we've had, had that down. one. <laughs> we have absolutely had that one. This question coming in for you from Stuart Hart, who's tweeted at Speculatement. A couple of Leisure-related questions. Hello, Stuart. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Um, is it correct they've sold a dozen P3s? And also, are they returning to... P1, obviously P1L as we might still call it, as rumoured. This is this is very interesting because I want to talk about um, LMP3 uh, in, long, a, in a, a moment. Long, a long chat with uh, Jacques Nicolet and some of which cannot yet be, be repeated. Uh, some very interesting stuff going on. Uh, the answer is uh, no, they haven't sold 12 Ligiers. They've sold more than that and I've really? been specifically asked not to give the number um, of of P LMP3 cars? Correct. Uh, that We will be getting wow. those announcements uh, in the coming 
weeks, I am at the moment going to send the number to you, John, so that you can see it on the scoreboard, but we're not going to tell anybody. What oh, my number. goodness me. Yeah, but uh, that uh, includes uh, some pretty uh, hefty scalps for them. Uh, certainly, Ivan Muller uh, has purchased, I believe, two for his race team. No announcement yet as to where they will race. Uh, but uh, amongst the, the the big pluses for Ligier, and for that matter, for the rest of the LMP, uh, squads is the announcement of the new French prototype uh, yes. championship, which will sit alongside the FFSA GT championship. And organisers are hoping for a dozen of each, a dozen GT3s, a dozen LMP3s, uh, with the improved form we saw from the Ginettas with lightened bodywork and some better aero on those cars at um, Paul Ricard. My guess is that, that could be a pretty good race to watch. Uh, the cars were running well ahead of the GT3, the GTEs rather, uh, before the uh, mandatory two and a half minute pit stops came in and put them back into the mix. That's, I think, a rule that needs another look at the end of this season. Uh, it's been done for very sound reasons, but um, my guess is there's a better way to do it. But, uh, yep, things moving forward with, with P3. Uh, expect to see a lot more of those cars around. We are still waiting to find out where the Ligier, which, by the way, is the first of the P3s to be homologated. Ginetta, not that so was the point I was going to make with yep. you, because although we have had an LMP3 champion in a Ginetta, uh, yep. step forward the effectively Ginetta um, factory team with um, it's uh, Sir Chris Hoy, isn't it? Who's, and Charlie uh, Robertson. Who's yep. won that the with Charlie Robertson. Yep. Um, they haven't actually homologated that car yet. Does well, that mean ha- that the- they don't have to? No, it's fine. I mean, it's because it's. I think it's the first year. There was always that thing in the background, John. We always knew, which was they weren't going to finally nail down the regulations until we'd seen more than one car out running competitively. We haven't seen that yet. I think that's perfectly sensible. Uh, they're running certainly to the spirit of the regulations. There's nothing dodgy going on. They're just nailing down uh, where things need to be. And uh, Ginetta been doing some very hard work in the background. Um, and as I say, we're actually running at the the the, uh, the regulatory weight, not overweight uh, now the car, and it showed uh, a lot quicker. I thought looked a lot more nimble, and things moving forward. I think uh, a pace now in LMP3. But uh, yes, um, the Ligier was homologated at the end of August. I think they were quite surprised to find out that Ginetta hadn't. But uh, but that of course means that whilst we've had all this publicity from Ligier about uh, how much quicker their car is. Um, that they've actually now nailed down their spec, whereas Ginetta just haven't yet. So uh, let's wait and see what happens if we get an example of the Ligier on track at Estoril, which is what we believe will happen. The um, Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, engine manufacturers. No, no. Uh, announced on, on Monday, the engine manufacturer no, no, no. was. I saw that written down somewhere. Yeah, LMP2 2017 engine manufacturer was going to be announced on Monday. So who was right. it? Uh, it wasn't announced on Monday, and we believe it'll be announced in the next week or two. Um, I was. No, it said. It said. It said in the thing. The regulation thing. thing. And then it said on that Delhi Sports Car as well, because that's what the teams were to brief to, to actually their teams. Sorry, the organisations that have bid were briefed to expect. Um, what's going to happen? Well, it hasn't been discussed by the Endurance Commission. Uh, that was confirmed to me by a member of said commission at Paul Ricard. Uh, It does need to be approved by the World Motorsport Council, but can be done, as confirmed via actually an excellent piece from from Gary uh, at Autosport, uh, that it it can be actually dealt with by a faxed vote. And I believe from my uh, FIA tickle that that is completely correct, and that's what's going to happen. 
Who's going to get it? Well, who do we know is in for it? Well, we certainly know that uh, the Gibson, nay, Zytec guys are in for it. Uh, we know that the Jub boys are in for it. And we also know that Mechachrome have put in a bid. Uh, Gary believes there are potentially two others, one of which is a Japanese organisation plus another European uh, bidder. Um, no clue is a straight and honest answer uh, what might come from that. Uh, but I can't see if it goes in one particular way that there might be the distinct sound and smell of uh, something unpleasant hitting the ventilation system. Let's wait and see what comes of that. It, it, again, we have to make the point that nobody who has got a chassis contract, uh, so that would be Delara, don't do engines. Um, Orica. Uh, Orica, kind of don't. Oh, yes, they do do engines, do don't engines. they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, uh, they can't do it. Um, Onrock and um, Multimatic, Riley and Scott, they can't have an engine at least... Uh, for the for this single manufacturer engine rules in the states very different but let's leave that to one side at the moment we're talking about is the spec engine also what you can't have graham they're looking for a, a bespoke racing engine a v8 uh somewhere i would guess between three and a half and four liters i'd guess uh, so. yeah not normally aspirated uh, um so um it can't you can't be affiliated with a manufacturer because there was a lot of chewing and throwing with people at the weekend on Twitter. So, for example, the ex- and in on the the Facebook collective as well for the Midway Motorsport Facebook collective. Um, but you know, you couldn't have, for example, AMG or no. Alpina or, or Nismo HPD. or yeah. HPD. None of those people that... who have close or even distant links to a motor manufacturer it's got to be a pure race engine john it's not a production derived engine pure pure race engine with and this is a change from the earlier brief either direct injection or port injection right Uh, so it could be either so it's going to come down to in effect the business case that is actually presented and that's going to come down I, i believe to several things it's going to come down to the level of servicing support that is actually offered is going to come down to the kind of price that is actually offered. And it's going to come down to the best background that these organisations have got in producing reasonably large numbers of pure race engines within a set performance uh, parameter. Uh, mm. And we, we know already that from the broadly, what, 460 brake horsepower engines we have at the moment in the class, that these will be taking a mighty leap to 600 horsepower. So that's mm. going to put P2 into levels of performance we've not seen previously. Um, and let's wait and see what actually comes from it. We know that there's you know, at least two of the three that we've mentioned have had um, you know, experience producing insurance engines of that kind of performance. Uh, let's wait and see who gets the nod. But uh, certainly by the look of things, there's going to be four very disappointed parties. A couple of things coming in before we move on from what we've spoken about with you so far. Dave Alcock uh, and Andy Lutz both talking about the French LMP uh, Championship, the P3 Championship. Dave Alcock, first of all, do you think we might see a UK prototype series like the proposed French LMP3 series? Well, we've we've had cracks at this before, haven't we? Yeah, we we'll have. It'll be interesting to see, but you know, what, well, let's look at what we've just been talking about 10 minutes ago. Why wouldn't Brit Car do it? Why wouldn't Britcar, who have had their real problems with numbers in the championship, why wouldn't they actually have an LMP3 class? Do I think it would be as well supported? Well, the, the difference between the FFSA championship and the Britcar championship is it's not the principal uh, national 
you know, Sports Car Endurance Championship. Yeah. So, you know, they've got, you know, a, a different sort of challenge. But, you know, the reality is that a very large percentage of the cars I think we're going to hear announced and see on track are not going to be doing ACO rules racing. That They're more likely, I think, to be doing things like Supercar Challenge, V to V. I think it's going to be a big growth market for them. There is one thing we're waiting for, and it was a question that I actually asked at Paul Ricard and got a slightly non-committal answer to, and that is, are we in the future going to see a support race for the Le Mans 24 Hours on race morning for LMP3 machinery? My guess is that's under very serious consideration. Has to happen. And my guess is that the sales success that Ginetta and Ligier, as will become apparent, um, you know, that's emerging at least of the four have had, will just bring that closer. I still think this is a massive growth area. I think GT4 will become in the next uh, couple or three seasons. Uh, Andy Ludd says, not sold on the whole French LMP3 thing. Surely making your national top class spec engined at least basically says pro racing is dead here not sure that's true but i see what you're saying andy uh nicole ridu says with the improvement in the genetta and the apparent booming leisure sales any idea if imza will take another look at lmp3 maybe that's a question for marshall uh, a bit later on um uh, lmp2 engine response pro uh Engine responses to the tender must be in French. Grammar is also taking into account on the successful bid. Uh, Nick Holland being slightly cynical there, I think. Um, moving on with Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, uh, who is with us uh, on the show tonight, as ever. Um, we so much happening in Europe uh, at the moment. Let's talk GT3s for a moment. And Barwell laying their Ooh. colours to the mast uh, straight away with a car that I'm not even see we've, sure we've seen the, the completed GT3 version of the Huracan, but Barwell, I've got to oh, have, have three of them. I oh, know I have. There's, there's been two of them in the Blanc Endurance series with... So they have, yes. Uh, My this apologies. is the one that's yes. had the, the longest-lived um, protest post-result that I think we've had in living memory uh, that was finally sorted as well. But, uh, but the S3 cars for them, a... Um, alliance with MP Motorsport, Mark Poole's organisation, and you know uh, a pretty ambitious uh, programme with British GT and Blompel Endurance for uh, those cars. Exciting looking car. Same basic drivetrain as the Audi. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But a completely different looking car, of course. Uh, looks very Lamborghini. Nothing wrong with that either. Uh, yeah. And it's a it's a big change for Barwell Motorsport, and uh, they've been through. They're Aston Martin years. We've been into the BMW era, and now they leap forward into Lamborghini land. And uh, great news for um, you know for Mark Lemmer, or for Chris Nidell and the and the chaps. Uh, let's see what they can produce. There are more announcements to come, John, of uh, teams in the UK with new GT3 machinery. And lovers of the British GT Championship will not have to wait very lo- much longer for the next of those coming in, I would suggest, looking at my clock, something around 48 hours' time. And, and Barwell are going to put those, all three of those, into British GT? I think the announcement was two in British GT okay. uh, confirmed. But uh, lots and lots and lots going on in the lands of G- GT3. No, no, absolutely. I mean, clearly, there's a lot to be gained by the, the various sales teams, particularly of the German makes. But, of course, we've got the likes of McLaren, Aston Martin still in the mix, uh, very much so. Uh, but with three, four, in fact, Porsche, BMW, 
uh, Mercedes-Benz and uh, Audi, Audi. Uh, out there with effective, very effective sales teams, I think we're going to start to see a flood of announcements in the coming weeks. Um, yeah, very, uh, very much agree with you. I think there's something like 15 different uh, marks uh, available now in in full GT3. The uh, back to um, ELMS uh, and the P2 teams, uh, because again, after the announcement at the weekend, we've still got uh, another round, of course, to go in the the ELMS decent racing at the weekend. Although a little bit of controversy with driver uh, timings, etc being uh, the deciding factor in the race. If you don't know about that, uh, listen back to our coverage and go and read dailysportscar.com. We had Jota Sport uh, talking about their ELMS and WEC programme. That was news we've talked about here in the past. Let's go through some of the other teams, Graham. Um, AF Racing, uh, what was SMP Racing uh, and the, the BR all ones. What's happening with those? Well, first and foremost, just a brief explanation as to why the change. Uh, the the S and P racing, as we've said more than once on the program, have had some problems, sanctions related problems related to the owners of the team and being involved in U.S. trade sanctions relating relating to Russia's uh, involvement in the Ukrainian crisis. That has prevented them from uh, easily accessing a uh, number of parts for the new cars, but in particular has um, stopped them from making a change they wanted to make as early as Silverstone last year uh, to Dunlop Ties because Goodyear Dunlop are US-owned company and US-owned companies are not allowed to actually uh, trade with the the named people in the sanctions. That's now been got around by effectively a change of ownership for the team. It goes to a company called AF Racing, an offshoot of 24H Racing, which is owned by Benjamin Durand, the uh, team principal of... Uh, as was SMP Racing, uh, and lo and behold, um, the team turns up at Paul Ricard, puts in an order, and is delivered lots and lots of shiny Dunlop tyres, and the car goes a lot quicker. So here's me disagreeing with something we said earlier on the show, John. There is one area where people don't want the Michelins. Yeah, unusually. I'm that's LMP2. But the cars were immediately on the pace, uh, Competing very much for pole position, finally um, completed qualifying second and third overall. Another significant snippet that might be lost in the mire was a conversation with Nick Minazzi, and I asked, as I tend to do at this stage of the season, what Nick's plans were for next year, and got a rather different answer than I expected. Yes, mm-hmm. he's talking to people about drives, but actually Nick is, at this stage, I think, beginning to look beyond his driving career and made it very clear that he is now looking for an opportunity to manage and run his own team. Mm, and he'd be very good at that. A couple of other stories coming out of Ricard. Mark Goddard's Eurasia Motorsport yeah. team um, didn't have the race they wanted at the weekend, but are already talking about 2016. They are. They did ask us not to mention what that plan was, uh, but it's now been plastered all over the French media. So I can tell you that in the current production run uh, up at uh, Orica, I believe there are three cars in the current build program with two Jota cars because Jota will be buying a, a spare tub as they always do. That will be Dragon Speed, it will be Signatech Alpine, and it will be Eurasia are the first three in the production line, followed by uh, the two Jota uh, cars. So Eurasia will be moving to a um, Orica 05, but before that, ambitious plans with the Asian Le Mans series 
uh, they've got the X Boots and Gideon car for the first two rounds and will be adding their ELMS car uh, for a two-car effort in Asia for the 2-2016 rounds. So they're moving forward, uh, looking... LMP3 uh, in Asia, Asia as well, apparently? For uh, the- they, they're going to be looking after David Cheng's car. So DC Racing um, is um, the... Uh, is the the moniker for that, but some logistical, some technical support from Eurasia on that front as well. So clearly, Mark Goddard and Co are a very key part of the recovery drive for Asian Le Mans. Uh, so yet yeah, Eurasia looking good, Pegasus uh, looking towards moving to a um, a Ligier later this year. In fact, John, you and I should be able to see and talk about uh, Pegasus racing on the grid in Shanghai uh, for the WEC. That's one of two. Uh, remaining ELMS um, one-off appearances. Uh, the other one, we believe, would be Jota Sport at Bahrain uh, with a one-off appearance with a very different-looking driver lineup yet to be finalised. But lots going on. Uh, Pegasus, again, looking forward to potentially WEC for them and potentially WEC uh, under consideration for Eurasia as well. Uh, yes, good point. Uh, Evenez didn't turn up, but apparently are back at Estoril and may have something to tell they you will. and the rest yeah. of the world. Then, what about Murphy prototypes? Um, Ooh, they, that, had a, they had a bad, that bad day. awful weekend, didn't they? Uh, that was a, a bad shunt for Michael Lyons. Uh, believe no car failure is what I've been told. Um, that uh, Michael was on tyres very much past their best, and uh, whatever happened uh, happened. Happily, though, the tub is fine. Uh, The Murphy's men will stick, we believe, with the tried and trusted and tested um, Oracle 03R and will carry on uh, for the LMS next year with that So they're not going to the BR01, which was certainly mentioned, wasn't it? They're they're not going to do that. Okay, all good. Um, Stay with us, Graham. Um, I'd like to bring in... Uh, Marshall Pruitt from racer.com and Tim is uh, working that technology even as we speak. Good evening, Marshall. Good evening, Heidi. Um, Brought you in with Graham on the the other line at the moment because there's a couple of things I think you can both both add to. Um, First of all, it is the balance of performance test for LMGTE uh, at Ladue in France at the moment. The most significant part of that from uh, an American point of view, Marshall, is for, I believe, the first time, IMSA technical officials will be there in at least an observation uh, role out there and, and looking at that data that's coming in. That it's, it's not been widely reported, but that's actually quite big news, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I uh, that's what I had heard that there were some folks headed there, and I agree. I think that's very positive in the uh, the ongoing alignment of IMSA, the ACO, the FIA, the the France and America coming together to be buddies. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great thing. I, I can't see any negatives in that, and uh, I guess maybe looking at some of. American sports car racing's recent past. Uh, I don't know if that's something that would have been done a few years ago um, prior to the advent of the Tudor Championship, soon to become the WeatherTech Championship. So very positive, if you ask me. What we don't know, gentlemen, unless either of you can tell me, is whether the American-only spec, the IMSA uh, 
the iWhisk spec car uh, from BMW will be there. The GT Le Mans car. Any intel on whether that car is there? It doesn't have to be because it's not going to get an FIA um, balance of performance. It's going to get an IMSA balance of performance. But BMW said they would try and get it there if they could. Graham, any news? Uh, what I was told is it was very, very tight indeed. And indeed, when I mentioned the potential that had been mentioned to me that the BMW might not be there to a few people around the paddock, there was big raised eyebrows uh, that that could be something of a deal breaker. Oh, Marshall, uh, anything you're hearing about the BMW? You, well, yeah, let's just say that I, it's not something I want to put out there quite yet, just because it's something uh, story-wise is still being developed a little bit. Ah, okay. Uh, all good stuff there. Um, this, these are new cars for 2017. All bar the Porsches are significantly uh, redeveloped. Obviously, the Ford uh, is out there for the first time um, in competition, or at least, sorry, not in competition, but at least with the other cars there. New cars from Corvette, uh, significantly redesigned at least. New car, significantly redesigned from Aston Martin, brand new car from Ferrari. How's, uh, how big a deal is this, Graham, to get all of those guys out there at the same time for this test? And what do we think we're going to hear off the back of it? Or is this one of these things that is going to be, right, we've got the data, we're going to go and sit on it for a while and we'll come back to you in April? No, what's going to happen is there's going to be an absolute feeding frenzy at Cota. It was all actually battering the GTE teams around the head till they tell us what they know. Uh, that's what's going to happen. And uh, I think... This how really how is that much... different How is it different from any other event, though, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Fair the, point, yeah, well made. The different difference is that the, uh, the, both the IMSA and the, the wet guys are going to be there, and we'll try to find out which uh, whose who's lips are the looser. Uh, but the I think the, the answer is... I don't think there's going to be any major surprises. I think um, I, I just have a feeling that people are going to find the potential that Ford is is shocking. Mm, I think I think you're right there, Graham. I'm going to cut, cut you loose uh, at this point. Thank you very much for for joining us and um, see you in the states next week. When, are you in to do the show live on on Wednesday, or will you be oh, catching I've got, remember, I've got to remember exactly when I'm flying. But uh, I know we fly Wednesday. But the possibility is mm. I might not be there then. Right. Okay. We'll we'll catch up yeah, with you. Are, we doing it, are you doing it from home or from uh, from Cota? No, from Cota. It'll be live I'll, from Cota next week. I, I might well be there. In which case, we'll have to, right. have to have a quick look. Um, I always uh, re- remember, you know, if you want to get rid of that jet lag, put your ta- put your watch on the time that you you're going to. Um, I tried that; didn't work for me. I missed me playing by five hours, but don't worry. Um, <laughs> thank you, Graham. I find a massive gin and tonic and melatonin works for me, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, goodness. See you next week, fella. Have a good weekend. Uh, Graham Goodwin from DailySportsCar.com uh, joining us uh, on the show tonight. It is the British GT finale, of course, this weekend. Uh, we can catch up with that uh, uh, next week, hopefully. Marshall Pruitt stays with us. Um, I'd like to talk some GT3 with you as well in, in a moment, um, and also some single-seater news as well, Marshall, if you Great. don't mind. Um, but I'd like to start off with um, uh, a little bit... Uh, of news. Actually, should have spoke to Graham about this as well. Stefan Mucker won't be at court at Austin. He's off doing other things. Um, we saw 
Um, Johnny Adam drafted into the squad, didn't we, to drive with those guys at the Nürburgring. And now it will be just Johnny and Darren Turner in the squad. That's a, a number of one of a number of driver changes that sees Nick Tandy uh, not in the KCMG car either at, uh, at quarter next weekend. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I always love these last minute changes. Well, granted, I don't think they're last minute within the team, but at least for what we've come to expect, you know me, Heidi, I love uh, uh, unpredictability. So that should be good. Uh, certainly, no lack of talent with the uh, the minor swap of Stefan going in one direction, Johnny in the other. So uh, nothing but good stuff there. And who knows? There's still a few days to go. We could have could hear some news of other changes. So um, all kinds uh, of fun. Flying Lizards, GTD, uh, confirmed now that they'll be part of the party at the Lone Star Le Mans. Yeah, so that's a great thing. They had a recent test, and you know, one of the things that's always important in any pro-am category is to see health and vitality with interested customers wanting to go racing, and that's definitely the case here of the team. Uh, going and testing at Coda, coming out of that test with uh, nothing but good news and the decision to show up and race. So good on them. Uh, of course, we're hoping to see more of the Flying Lizard team with K-Pax racing next year and some uh, British machinery to go along with maybe the uh, German machinery they'll be using at Coda. But yeah, uh, to, for me at least, great to hear that the uh, our old, old friends at Flying Lizard are uh, coming uh, coming to play in endurance racing where I think uh, in our hearts uh, they've always belonged and maybe never left. Well, indeed. It looks, again, we've talked about this a few times, but almost every day now there's a new team popping out. We've talked about the, the Turner organisation getting some GT3 BMWs. There's clearly a lot of news still to come out, but we, we could have a dozen or more different GT Daytona manufacturers in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, as it will be this time next year. This is this, this is the big show. We're not talking about what might happen in Continental Tires. This is the big. This is this is something we haven't seen. We've never seen, in fact, in GT racing it, since the you know the restructuring of IMSA back in the late 90s when the ALMS sort of popped into being. Very true, and I I hope that we have. Not just more uh, manufacturers involved, but uh, there's obviously a distinction between teams entering a new mark in the series and that mark itself engaging the series in, in a marketing partnership and investing in the series. That's what I'm hoping for and looking forward to the most. Uh, so we'll definitely want to see as many manufacturers in as we can have, uh, but definitely also want to see those manufacturers seeding the future of uh, IMSA and the WeatherTech Championship uh, through marketing, through whatever they can do to make the series grow, make the series more popular. Uh, obviously, they're doing that to sell cars. If we're looking specifically at GTD and the uh, GT3 cars that will uh, form the class next season. So I'm with you, Andy. I mean, I have to think back to the late 80s in IMSA's GT racing where you had a number of heavyweight manufacturers in the GTO class and also in GTU, and we've definitely had uh, some heavy hitters in the American Moss series in uh, you know, various iterations of GT1, GT2, uh, and also some in Grand Am in their GT category. But bottom line, uh, this looks like 
we could have uh, we could have a hard time keeping track of all the marks, all the model numbers, and getting all that stuff straight. And what a wonderful problem to have. Yeah, no, agree with that. Um, what before we leave him, sir? Um, the regulations for balance of performance rules have been balanced themselves this week. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, uh, interesting. Saw that come through. And yeah, you, so normally we're talking about balance of performance changes, meaning car to car. Here we're actually talking about balance of performance changes to the balance of performance rules. So in IMSA's, 20, in IMSA's rule book this year, they gave themselves uh, guidelines saying that uh, within the season, essentially, they could make three BOP changes per class. And with the rule change that came down today, uh, that has been extended to four. You might ask, well, wait a minute. There's two rounds left. The series, you know, the championship closes in less than a month. Why create uh, Why create this? I don't want to say it's not an exception. It's, it's an amendment to the rule to give themselves one more. Well, if you take a quick look through the BOP changes that have been passed down this year, you'll notice that on the GT side in both classes, uh, they've reached the maximum. They have, don't have anything left. Um, again, I haven't uh, doing the quick math in my head, and I'm sure it's easy for you and uh, the rest of the IMSA fans. There's a certain uh, rear-engined GT car that has been very, very quick and uh, done a lot of winning recently in GTLM. And knowing that uh, IMSA has run out of BOP changes per their own rules, I don't think it would be strange to suggest that uh, they might want to pin the Porker's ears back a little bit to make sure that they don't win five on the trot to close the season or whatever the exact number would be. Uh, And then in GTLM... I can't exactly say. I mean, I'm guessing. I don't know if it's a case of uh, some recent BOP changes have disadvantaged one car too much or if they feel looking at the upcoming races and the circuits and what cars might perform there, if some need to be dialed back or what. But uh, bottom line is they have given themselves one more shot to make GT changes in uh, either of those classes, either at COTA or Petit Le Mans. Don't know, though, if we're going to see changes made ahead of, or at Coda, or if they would be uh, saved for the final round. Taking Nick Tandy out of any car is a massive balance of performance differential, in fairness, for Porsche. Um, <laughs> he's come out of the KCMG car, though, not out of the Porsche. There. Um, plenty more to talk about about that, and we'll hook up next week uh, and and have a bit more of a chat about that when we're on site and the plan is at the moment to do next week's midweek motorsport from the circuit of the americas on what will then be wednesday afternoon uh, before uh, one of our personal appearances uh, next week for one of the manufacturers uh, busy early part of the week for the team and uh, we've got a, a decent team on site obviously to cover both of those events more details about broadcasting that uh, later on um Anything, am I missing anything before we move on to IndyCar and the big X1 uh, test? Oh, it's the Laguna Roads to Indy, uh, etc. this weekend. And uh, World Challenge. It? Pirelli yeah. World Challenge also closes its season. So, yeah, you'll have champions crowned uh, in World Challenge. There's a pretty close fight at the head of the GT category between Johnny O'Connell and his former Corvette racing teammate, Olivier Beretta. So that should be fun. And we know in the past those two have definitely not shied away from contact, even while driving for the same team. Yes. So that could be fun. 
the Mazda Road to Indy, all three tiers have their championships to settle. Uh, so that's going. that should be uh, nothing but uh, great stuff coming out of there. A lot of talent, genuinely a lot of talent packed on that ladder. Haven't always been able to say that throughout the years, but uh, if you look up and down from USF 2000 to Pro Mazda to Indy Lights, uh, they're definitely uh, a lot of kids that are going to be doing great things in the future there. So... Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be the uh, most heavily attended weekend just because both series are not, uh, or I'm sorry, both uh, organizations are not usually uh, headliner material. That doesn't change the fact that the quality of racing should be absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely agree. And there is, uh, I believe, uh, there is a a live stream certainly for the uh, Mazda on uh, MazdaLive.tv and uh, sadly we're not involved with that but it'll still be uh, worth a look and we've been following quite a lot of those championships this year of course on IMSA uh, radio um IndyCar X1 test first of all what the hell was it well there's the X1 group Heidi and they have come to IndyCar saying you know cl- saying that they inquired if they could buy it which was quickly shut down uh because it wasn't but as for you've sale. said there's always someone wanting to buy IndyCar. Well, yeah. Should we announce now, Heine, that you and I, Radio Lamar, is about to buy Indy, IndyCar? Well, well, we'll save that for another announcement. But hey, kidding aside, uh, yeah, it's a group, great intentions, great desires, great hopes. Uh, they claim to have tens of millions of dollars and all kinds of things. And who knows? Maybe they do. I do know that at least speaking with the folks who sat in the room with them during their most recent meeting with IndyCar in Sonoma, uh, there were many folks who came away thinking that's a very strong group of fans compared to a group of solid business folks with rock-solid business plans, uh, understandings of what they want, what they need, what they're asking for, etc. So, uh, again, do we just... I don't want to have fun uh, with a little two-part expose looking into what they are about and what they want to do. But, you know, IndyCar is in a place where it needs money. It needs a lot of things. And when someone comes along claiming to have it and wanting to do big things, it's worth delving into the topic, for me at least. Now, whether those people uh, are real in terms of their abilities to do that or if uh, they were just curious to see if they could get a meeting with IndyCar if they claimed a bunch of wild stuff, uh, time will tell. I know that yeah. IndyCar, IndyCar is treating them like they're real. IndyCar is doing their due diligence to find out if the money and support they claim to have is factual compared to theoretical. And uh, there's a, an upcoming meeting here, uh, another meeting to see if and where this might go. Uh, and at that point, I'm hoping, I think many people are hoping to learn that, yes, there's money and there's reality and good for IndyCar. And if not... Um, they've wasted a little bit of time with them. But some of the ideas they're proposing, Heidi, of looking to other ways of monetizing the series for teams, for the series itself. How do you create income to run a team, to run the series? They have some good ideas. They aren't necessarily original, but they have some good ideas that IndyCar needs to capitalize on, regardless of whether they, uh, the X1 group folks are real. Uh, they also need to engage a younger demographic, for sure. That's something they've known about. Uh, this could happen through some of the gaming ideas that they're suggesting. Yeah. So whether the group's real or not, Heidi, uh, hopefully IndyCar takes away from everything uh, that they need to act. And if they have a partner to help do that and a partner that has money, should be even easier. While we're talking about development of uh, IndyCar, I noticed that there's been uh, another change in the management structure at the Circuit of the Americas. Uh, A chief strategy officer 
has been announced uh, as taking up a post. Jason Rittenbury, CFE, which is a certified facilities executive. Um, it's been a bit of a revolving door at the Circuit of the Americas, and that's been part of that, that facilities issue about trying to to build relationships with series and indeed with fans. Um, is, is this the start of a new era for them, do you think? I don't know if I read that and thought new era, Heindy. I, I just thought that, uh, again, I don't know. Mr. Rittenberry couldn't tell you what he's done before this or, or his capabilities, and that's not questioning that. I just, I've never met the guy, never heard of him, but I'm sure he would say the same thing about me. But we know that with Circuit of the Americas, it cost whole bunch of money. Uh, they have a bunch of cool races that go to that that go to their venue, and some of them, uh, I believe, generate profit. But we also know that uh, with a facility of that size, costs to build it, pay for it, they need to do everything they can to create more income. So if Mr. Rittenberry is someone who has ideas or the abilities to do that, uh, to whether it's through the concert side, they obviously have their own uh, audit, you know, amphitheater where they hold concerts. I can't say exactly where he would fit in in the growth and prosperity side. I can imagine a couple, but uh, – I would rather hear about Kota hiring new people to do new things than hear about more people leaving or being fired. And that, as we know, has also been something we've read about more than once over the past year or two. Um, a story that we were talking about earlier on uh, with Haas F1 uh, announcing via Twitter their big announcement this week is that the factory signage has gone up on their on the exterior of their units. One of the other things that they've also said in their uh, search for drivers that they won't be running any Americans and they are unlikely to have rookies that leaves Alexander Rossi uh, ticked off the list with a black marker pen of doom through his his name uh, had he been banking on that do we think Marshall I think he naturally would have uh, we know the conversations had taken place we know that that would have been the most natural fit uh, about the signage that's also great to hear hopefully there's no toasters on any of that signage um, <laughs> sorry a little bit of a throwback there uh, Alexander is an incredibly smart kid uh, his father is also very smart been doing this for a while trying to get him to the top and uh, Alexander confirmed in a call earlier today that yes uh, while it's a disappointment we certainly had not placed all of our uh, eggs in Gene Haas's basket now it's one thing to say we've been speaking to many teams and they weren't our only option it's another to have the teams receiving those calls thinking of you as a legitimate option uh, who might slot in as a whatever it, whatever it would be a Friday tester etc don't know where he's going to end up next year uh, obviously uh, Stoffel has you know dominated GP2 this year. Alexander, I think, is a big surprise to many having come in and uh, you know, not only won a couple of races, but sitting a fairly solid second place in GP2. Whether that would transition into something real for him in Formula 1 next year, I can't say. Uh, I have a, a wider interview that we did that I'll put out probably tomorrow. He's not averse to another shot at IndyCar. And I would say after his efforts last winter to uh, try and find a home in IndyCar, and he did work very hard. I know that personally because I uh, you know, tried pointing him in a few directions where he didn't have uh, contacts. I think his stock 
definitely, as he mentioned, uh, his stock's in a much better place than it was last year. Last year, he was the American kid kind of farting around with, uh, or the past couple years, with uh, definite lower-rung F1 teams and trying to scrape his way in without all the uh, success that you would have wanted in the uh, junior formulas. This year, I think folks have definitely seen the kids talented, uh, won more than one GP2 race, and uh, while we don't think he's going to win the title, uh, definitely should come home at least second or minimum third. So if that helps him get into IndyCar next year, fantastic. If that helps him get into an F1 team in some way next year, uh, also good for him. Just hope, like many young drivers, he does have a uh, positive future instead of um, the end of the line. What uh, a couple of people have just tweeted, including uh, Paul Margiotta. Not sure I can back back Haas if they have no S uh, USA driver. Maybe a reserve driver would have to do. Uh, Formula One isn't massive in the states. Is it vitally important for Haas to to have some? U.S. connection with them being such a big U.S. name? Uh, it'd be great. I think it would be wonderful uh, for a an American-owned F1 team to have an American link in terms of a driver. Uh, I don't necessarily say that personally. I, I, mean, I just want to see it, American talent driving for anybody. I, but I do know that looking at some of the ratings and the growth uh, on NBC Sports Network with Formula One this season mm-hmm. in particular, you can make a very clear case that Formula One's gaining popularity among a new crowd in America. So it would certainly help in this day and age of social media and interconnectedness to have an American driver to positively represent an American team. Do I think Gene Haas wakes up every morning worrying about uh, you know flying that flag be extending into the driver realm? Maybe not. I mean, uh, you could say that, look, this is an American spending a lot of money to create a quote American Formula One team. Isn't that enough? Uh, mm. I would say, yeah, probably. But hey, if you were able to have a driver too, even better. Uh, Esteban Gutierrez and John Eric Verne were Nick's uh, suggestions, or should I say predictions? I know that uh, Tim goes for Gutierrez and Chilton. Uh, which would be interesting. Um, have we had any details about, you know, potential U.S. backing for for this? Because, you know, clearly this is, as you've mentioned, it's a big, uh, it's a big financial undertaking. And one of the issues that USF1 had was there was just no one who wanted to put the money down and and say, yeah, we'll back this, we'll get involved. It's not that there's a lack of of companies that could do it because clearly there are many they are legion in the states but they just didn't do it for usf1 are we going to see some backing for Haas that that are brands that will recognize us specifically us clearly global but us in in nature i can't honestly say uh, i've heard some rumors uh, and as we all know uh, for those who spend uh, every day of their life tracking down Formula One news, that's not me. Uh, they would probably have a much better answer to that. I, I at least know for some of the rumors and rumblings I hear on the periphery, uh, I think we could see a little bit of U.S. engagement. But uh, I, 
I haven't heard of anything that's going to shock anybody uh, in terms of an, Amer- of an American company aligning themselves with Haas F1. Hopefully I'm wrong because, again, that would be be yeah. pretty cool. I-, I can just tell you very briefly, Heidi, there mm-hmm. are more Americans that I run into who are keen on F1 and certainly are have a fairly patriotic feeling about it. And yes. that's a great thing, knowing how long American drivers and Americans in general were considered a huge liability in Grand Prix racing. And <laughs> maybe they still are, but if the perceptions change, then maybe that's all that matters. Uh, before we let you go, um, we promised to keep Justin Wilson's Children's Fund in the listeners, uh, right at the front of the listeners' consciousness. Uh, you're doing a heck of a lot of work to do with that at the moment. How are the plans coming on, and what's the what's the next step? Well, the auction, the eBay auction, starts next Monday, the 14th. That is uh, something being aided by the CEO of eBay, Graham, IndyCar driver Graham Rahal. The two of them have uh, gotten together to help make this something very special. It's launching with the IndyCar driver helmets that were donated after the Sonoma season finale. And after that, I know a lot of items are going to be added in. Uh, if you look to A.J. Allmendinger, one of Justin's uh, teammates, person who he said was his inspiration. Dinger has been going nuts along with uh, his PR folks to gather content from NASCAR teams and drivers. And uh, when I spoke to him last weekend, he said his motor coach, he could barely even walk around because it was filled with so much stuff uh, on the floor that drivers just been bringing by and loading up. Uh, Alexander Vertz has been absolutely vital on the Formula One side uh, as his role as head of the Grand Prix Drivers Association reaching out to teams and drivers. There's a lot of cool stuff coming in uh, that folks will be able to get from F1 uh, teams and drivers. The WEC has done the same. I've spoken with every P1 manufacturer for example. They're all donating something. It could be a suit, a helmet, tickets, bodywork, you name it. Uh, If you are a motor racing fan uh, I can tell you that the things going into this auction, the majority of them are things you cannot buy and yeah. uh, will hopefully generate big money for the family. Patrick, uh, there are folks, just a qu- final note, quick note, Heindy, uh, I'm this is no joke. I'm buying, when I get to Austin, I'm buying a new piece of luggage, a large piece of luggage, because I'm going to need to bring that to the track because there are so many drivers after the IMSA race and even after the WC race. It might stink a little bit, but they will be taking off their suits after the race and handing them, signing them and handing them to me. And uh, I'm going to pack up all those things. Again, suits, visors, you name it. Bring them home. And then Monday morning, I'll be shipping all that stuff down to uh, the auction house that's handling all this stuff on behalf of eBay. So uh, big global community coming together to help the big man with some amazing auction items. That all kicks off next Monday. Okay, mate. Thank you for that. MP, keep up the good work, and we'll speak to you again soon. Have a great weekend. Uh, Very envious of you being over at Laguna again. Thanks, brother. Tim Gray. Let me open my microphone so everyone can, can hear me, not just you. Uh, we have done a couple of pointless press releases this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's one story that I couldn't just let go. Okay. Uh, but we don't need to hear the pointless press release of the week music again. We okay. need to hear this. <laughs>
I've got to tell you, Tim, I have no idea what that is. None at all. It sounds like a cheesy game show or maybe an afternoon soap. It's neither of those. Right. Uh, adventure story, drama, shown uh, Saturday tea times in the UK. In that slot that was also used by things like the A-Team. Right, can we lose it now so I can hear what you're saying? Uh, that's the theme music too, and let's just see if anyone on Twitter's got it. No? Okay, MacGyver. MacGyver! Do you know the big thing about the MacGyver that I always remember? They stole lock, stock and barrel, and I mean stole the exact footage from the mini chase from the Italian job and slotted it in to a MacGyver episode quite remarkable plagiarism the exact same footage clearly they bought it but it it was like hang on this is the Italian job how have they managed to shoehorn that into a MacGyver episode uh, right anyway carry on uh, I've played that music because this is headlined the MacGyver of Malaga oh dear okay I'm 77 years old. It starts with a quote, which is always a bad thing for a press release. I'm 77 years old, and I've spent more than 40% of my life driving a Seat. Right. Dave Alcock knew that that was MacGyver, by the way. Well done, Dave. Excellent. Right. Uh, It says Vicente Roda, a native of Malaga who spent over 30 years at the wheel and has had a total of 12 Seats during his lifetime. Racing or just streetcars? Just streetcars. So this has come out from Seat, has it? Yes. Vicente has an enormous collection of memories of his years at the wheel and recalls that the most popular car in Spain in the 60s and 70s was the Seat 600. Mm. It was a great little car for everyone who made a living on the road in those years. We'd often get together over coffee and trade stories about our Seat 600s and share tips on how to improve their performance. Hang hang on, well... That wouldn't have been difficult since they had about three horsepower. That was just a complete knockdown kit or rebuild, wasn't it, of a of a Fiat, Fiat 500 yes. before they started building their own things. Hang on, though, but MacGyver was well known for getting out of tight situations by using jam and string and a, a ballpoint pen, batteries from a remote-controlled television, and uh, the... Uh, the light and the MIG welder that he always found uh, just lying around. And, in a, the yes, and a MIG welder, yes, that's... <laughs> yes, very good. I've always so, been a motoring fan, and what I like about Seat is that nobody else but me touched the car for several years. My family used to call me MacGyver because I managed to take care of any necessary repairs with my own hands, he says with a grin. Oh, dear. Right, I think that's enough of that, really, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Thank you, Tim. Stay tuned for a very different type of automobile, the the Glickenhaus, the SCG Glickenhaus 003. Uh, the story of that car and its project and the man behind it is coming up next. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, is the Toro Radio Show and the first chance uh, for the guys to get their hands on Forza 6. Uh, and following that, it's Doug Feehan talking to Jim Roller. That's Big Thursday tomorrow. I'm John Hindoff. Thanks to all of our contributors, particularly Nick Damon, who was actually on his way to a flight when he was talking to us. And our executive producer up in London was Tim Gray. The responsible adult, as ever, was Eve Hewitt. And there's no time to explain now because... Oh, oh dear. 
the the llama's got hold of a of a mink welder. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.